Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we continue through the fourth chapter of the book of James. It will show us the impossibility of serving two masters, that it is not in our nature to let in just some of one thing and some of another. We must either choose God's kingdom or this temporal world with its temporal promises. The choice is binary. Whom will you serve? So today we're going to do James chapter 4. It's the chapter with four therefores. So chapter 4 has four therefores. And of course, anytime we see a therefore, we want to see what it's there for. And these therefores are going to kind of drive the logic of this chapter. Now, chapters 1 through 3 of James, we've seen that what James wants us to do is win at life through walking in the wisdom of God, in the ways of God, by faith, uh, instead of walking in the ways of the world. And it's been a very consistent theme that he's repeated multiple times, and nothing's going to change today, so let's just start with 4.1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore, so there's our first therefore, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, so if you want to be a winner, this book is all about winning. What's the easiest way to be a winner? If you want to root for the winning team, what's the easiest thing to to do if you're going to root for the winning team? Figure out who the best team is and then become a fan of them, right? Isn't that the best way to do? You know, the biggest selling jerseys is the New England Patriots because they've won a bunch of Super Bowls. It's a very logical thing to do. So what he wants us to do here is get on the winning team. And this kind of goes back to some of the other lessons we've had. There's kind of this gear shift thing that we have in life where we're either in the world gear or we're in the God gear. And there's no in-between. There's no, like, middle ground where you can have a little of each. We're one or the other. So the best way to get on the winning team is to choose the winning team. And the winning team is God's team. But what he says here is that if we try to have some of the world... It just pollutes being on God's team. We can't do it. And it makes us an adulterer or an adulteress. And unless you say, think to yourself, well, that can't be talking about a believer. Well, remember, the word brethren's in here 15 times. He never changes audience. He's always talking to believers. And that made abundantly apparent in verse 5. Or do you think... That the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. This reminds me of Galatians chapter 5. Let's just go there real quick. It's a classic text that we really can't go over too often because it's our daily existence. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
So we've got these two things going on inside of us all the time. Lust of flesh and the spirit is lusting. Verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. They're enemies. They're competing. The spirit and the flesh are. What are they competing for? They're competing for us. We are the chooser. We're the ones that might shift the gear knob to decide which of these is going to have the dominance in us. There's no mix and match. There's no little of this and a little of that. It's one or the other. We, we, we get to choose, but we choose one or the other. So which is it going to be? And it's pretty strong words here. James says, you know, if and when we choose the world, we're an adulterer, an adulteress. Now, why would that be? Well, we are all the bride of Christ. One of the things I like to tell women when I get a chance to talk to them about this subject is we need, we as males need you to show us what it means to be a faithful bride. Because your example is how we're supposed to act to our husband, Jesus. We're supposed to be responsive. We're supposed to follow that that husband's lead. And if you haven't noticed, it's not a bent of males to do anything anybody else says at any time. We kind of like to do things our own way. It's a problem for us. Okay, But it's a problem for us all because we have this pleasure in, inside of us. Let's just flip back to chapter 1 real quick. This, this, we, have, we have seen this before. He says, uh, verse 13, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. Because he just told us to have joy when we encounter various trials because God lets us go through difficult circumstances. And those difficult circumstances are a fantastic opportunity for us to prove our faith and have it refined like gold. It's an awesome opportunity for us. But it's not a temptation. Temptation comes from within us. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So we still, as believers, have this opportunity because we've got this problem inside of us, this flesh. The flesh is still there. And to the extent we nurture it, or to the extent we uh, follow it, we get sin and death. The consequences still come. Well, so isn't this an esteem problem? I mean, if, if we say, okay, well, I'm a rotten, miserable individual, aren't we violating the thing that we've all been told in our generation that the most important thing we can do is love ourselves? The most important thing we can do is think highly of ourselves. You've got to love yourself before you can love others. You've got to esteem yourself before you can have the foundation to benefit others. Isn't that what we've been told? And this seems to run in the face of that pretty severely, doesn't it? You know, they've done some surveys. You know what segment of the population has the highest self-esteem? Prison inmates. Turns out that when you think really highly of yourself, no matter what you do, you can do some pretty heinous things. Okay, The Bible doesn't really want us to have false enthusiasm about ourselves. It wants us to have reality about ourselves. So, does this mean that what we should do is just quit life and go to a convent or a monastery and flagellate ourselves and say, woe is me all the time? Well, let's go on. Because he tells us, therefore, if we want to be a friend of the world... 
then we're an enemy of God. So enemies of God are going to get negative consequences, right? So we don't want that. We don't want the consequences of the world. We want the consequences of God. So what would we do? Well, or do you think the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives more grace? Now, isn't that a cool answer? So what do we do if we come to this reality that, hey, I'm a miserable, broken person that's self-seeking and has these pleasures that are weighing me down, and I'm just kind of sunk. I'm on the wrong team by my nature. What do I do? Well, he's going to tell us what to do here. He says, therefore, given this condition of reality that we're going to see ourselves with, what's the first step? The first step is to realize... God, God gives a lot of grace. Isn't that the opposite of what you would think? Let's just, let's just go through this and you sing to somebody, hey, you're a miserable, wretched sinner. You're a drunk. You're a selfaholic. You're, you're arrogant. You're controlling. Have I, hit a, have I stepped on everybody's toes yet? I have a, what, what else do I need to do? Somebody help me if I hadn't gotten you. Okay, that's pretty broad categories. All right? You are this problematic person. And you need to get better. Well, just, let's just think about what we've done through history. What have we done through history to get better? Well, I've mentioned monasteries. I can't do anything but evil, so I'm just going to go off where there's no negative environment. I'm going to spend all day in prayer and reading the Bible, and I'm not going to speak. That way, I can't, I can't have an evil tongue. As if I never say anything. If I, I never say anything, I can't have an evil tongue. I'm, I'm completely walled off. And I'm going to be a holy person. And because everybody can't do that, if you, if you can't do that, then you support one of those monastics. And your money that you did to support the monastic kind of you know, gives you the bragging rights for their holiness. Well, that's been a big movement in our history. Or you set up a system of rules. Okay, we've got to get better. So let's have a program. Let's have a daily spiritual boot camp. And we've had all kinds of those. Uh, we've had relics. You know, go get the magic relic and get connected with that somehow. We went to a cathedral in France. It's beautiful, fantastic cathedral with these amazing stained glass windows. It was in uh, Chartres. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. It was spelled like chart. This cathedral was built in like 11 years. I was like, wow, how did that happen? I thought all these cathedrals always took 100 years to build. And they said, ah, no. The reason they took 100 years to build wasn't because it took so long. It's because they just built it as the money came in. But this one had tons of money. Why? They had a relic everybody wanted to be in on. I forget what it was. I think it was like Mary's covering or Jesus's covering or something like that. So everybody wanted to get in on this relic. Why? Well, because they realized this problem here. I'm really a miserable, wretched person. I need to get better. So what I'm going to do is get in on this relic and the magic of the relic that makes me okay. Or we have the daily things, you know, for, for thousand thousand years in Christianity, you have to go get the magic wafer every week. You got to go get the, you know, confession uh, consistently. You got to light your candles. That's a thousand years. And then of course Protestantism came along, and we replaced that with the daily devotional, the Methodist movement, which was started by the Wesleys. You have a method. And you get up every morning at 5 o'clock, and for two hours you sing hymns and do Bible study. And that's carried over into kind of the segment of evangelicalism we're in. Okay? How is your devotional life? 
If I want to ask you a real spiritual question, how is your devotional life? Like somehow how long and what and you know when you get up and all that kind of stuff is a measure of how you're doing. Well, you know, this doesn't say any of that. It doesn't this doesn't say anything about okay, because we have this massive problem inside of us that we have this lust for pleasure, this flesh, therefore find a method. Therefore do a retreat. Therefore it doesn't say any of that. It says therefore God gives more grace. That's why we need more grace all the time. Because we can't fix this. It's just a fundamental problem. You know what's cool about that? It means we don't have to justify ourselves. We can just receive daily God's grace. Therefore, He gives more grace. But then He goes on. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, here's the problem with all of those things that we've talked about. Monasticism and everything else. They're all self-improvement programs. And you know what? If you have a fundamental nature problem, you can't improve it. I'm a living example of this. All of us are. So what do we do? Well, God resists the proud but give grace to the humble. Now, this is a problem for us because we've all been taught that grace is unmerited favor. So when we say he gives grace to the humble, it's hard for us to process what that means because it sounds like He gives grace to people based on what they do, and we've been told you get grace not based on what you do. So let's let's work this out. Now, let me work with you on this word grace for a minute. It's the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. We get our English word charismatic from this. A person who's charismatic is a person who gets great favor based on the way they act. Okay? They act in a very favorable way. Well, all charis means is favor. And I want to show you, if you'll look at Luke 2.52, I'll show you this. Luke 2.52 says, and this is about Jesus when he's a boy. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor, charis, could be translated grace, because it's the same Greek word, Greek word, and in favor with God and men. And this is a, a bone that I have to pick on an ongoing basis with theologians and translators. They give us these technical theological definitions as though the Bible always means that when the word pops up. And then they use the English word when it fits the technical definition. They use a different English word when it doesn't. And this just means favor. Now look. There's two kinds of favor that Jesus came under. One was from God, and one was from man. And he increased in favor. Now, why would you increase in favor? It's because of what you're doing. So, is grace always unmerited favor? Well, it's certainly not when it comes to men. We judge based on a standard. We give people favor when they measure up to some standard that we have. And different groups of people have different standards, right? What one group says, uh, the president is fantastic because they have one set of measurements. And another group says this president is evil and horrible because they have a different group of standards. Or fill in the blank with whatever other you know, athlete or famous person. We have different standards. Men judge based on standards. What does God judge based on? Does God judge based on a standard? Yes. Well, yes and no, right? Yeah, he, he, the standard is himself. 
What God doesn't do is have a standard external to himself. There's no standard that's above God. See, when we judge, there's always a standard that's above us somehow, even if we don't think there is. Think of an Olympic diver. Okay? The guy comes out in his little, you know, too small swimsuit, and then he does his little dive. And it's so fast, you're like, what happened? This is just turning in the air. And then the judges all hold up a card. And there's, and there's like eight of them. Why do they need eight? Because they throw out the high and low. Why do they throw out the high and low? Because they're humans, right? They're fallible. And then, and then there'll be somebody, you know, eight and a half, eight and a half, eight and a half, five. And, and they'll say, and this doesn't happen so much anymore, but it used to back like during the Cold War. And say, why is that person a five? Oh, it's because they're a Russian and this is American. Right? They're biased. They're not following the rules. Right? Because there's this standard. And the judge is saying, like, okay, based on the standard, this is, this is what I gave them. And that's kind of how we do in life. We're all kind of diving judges, you know. Um, the lady comes by, hey, how are you? And all the women say, oh, you see her makeup, it's all smooth. You, you see her, look at those shoes. Those are hideous, aren't they, too? right? Especially junior high, like that. Okay, so, or, or the guys, you know, hey, how's it going? Like, oh, that guy, you know, he's, 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 a, uh, what? I don't, I can't think of an example. Grumble, grumble. <laughs> Do we have these external standards that we judge with? God doesn't have that. God judges based on himself. Now, does God give unmerited grace? Well, yes, in the sense that he gives favor based on what he decides to do. He always decides. We will never be able to stand before God and say, Hey, you gave me a 7.0 and you weren't following the rules. I, my, dive, my, my dive of my life was a nine and a half, and let me show you why. And God said, oh, God, well, I kind of messed up. I didn't see those. <laughs> there isn't anything like that. When God judges, he judges based on himself for whatever reasons he decides to judge, and that's it. That's the way it's going to be. Now, is God going to make distinctions? Well, think of the parables. One guy comes in at 8 a.m., works all day long. God comes in at the end, or the master does, and says, I'm going to give you a day's wages. And another guy comes in at 3 p.m. and works for two hours. He says, I'm going to give you a full day's wages. And the, and the guys that worked all day said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not fair to us. And, and, and the master looks at him and says, you got a problem with me wanting to be generous to somebody else? Right? So God is going to grade however he wants to. To whom much is given, much is expected. What does that mean? To whom little is given, little is expected, right? And who's going to decide who's given much and who's given little? Us? No. So God judges based on however he wants to judge. But does he judge based on what he sees? Does he judge based on what we do? Yes, he does. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here's the question. Who decides what's proud and what's humble? Is there some standard external to God that we can use to argue with God? No. But is God going to look at us and say, who needs more favor based on what we do? Yes. So we have this problem. We have lust and we have desire for pleasure and we have the flesh. And that will put us on the losing team. And so how do you get off the losing team onto the winning team? Well, you get humility. You become humble. And you get more grace, more favor... When the more humble you get, 
Okay? So if you've got this fundamental problem, you can't fix it. There is no self-improvement program that will make it better. And that's going to keep you off the winning team. You're not going to get consequences of winning if you don't get away from that. And there's nothing that you can do to overcome it, but there's more grace and more favor available if you take the path of humility. Therefore, what? Well, then let's figure out how to get humble, right? I was with uh, Dr. Anderson one time. He said, you know, I, I got a medal for humility for my church. And then I started wearing it, and they took it away from me. So we got we to figure out how to get humble. Okay, verse 7, therefore. So he's going to tell us now how to get humble. And we got this problem, therefore, you know, and this problem puts us on the wrong team, therefore get on the right team. Uh, we can't fix this. Therefore, God gives us more favor. And the more we're humble, the more favor we get. So let's figure out how to get humble. That's, that's what we do next. Therefore, this is the third therefore. Submit to God. Now, this seems way too simple, doesn't it? Because we would prefer a complex self-improvement program. Why? Because then we're doing it. And what is that? It's pride. Now, here's the interesting thing. Is going to a monastery necessarily going to make you proud or humble? The circumstances aren't going to determine, right? Do you think God blessed a lot of the people that went and got the magic wafer every week? I certainly do, because I bet you a lot of them went because they were submitting themselves to God best they knew how. Or the daily devotional, the Methodist. Okay? If you get up at 5 in the morning for two hours, is, that, is God going to honor that or is he going to consider it pride? Well, it kind of depends, right? It depends on the reason you're doing it. So all these things can be fantastic and all of them can be self-improvement that God would reject. It's not the thing we do. It's the reason we do it that's going to matter. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.